Well, hi there, church. My name is Ross, and it's really, really good to be with you here today. Matthew 14 is where we will be. If you're new with us, what we like to do most of the time is teach right through books of the Bible. So we're right in the middle of a multi-year study in the Gospel of Matthew, and I pray that you've been enjoying it, and I pray that you would follow along with us. But that's how we choose the text this morning, and in essence, the text chooses us. And where we find ourselves is in the really well-known story, which is known um, as the feeding of the 5,000. It's a miracle where Jesus takes the equivalent of a little boy's happy meal and feeds easily more than 10,000 people with that amount of food. Now, I feel like I saw regular feeding miracles in my life when I was growing up. My parents, both of them worked full-time. They were people of kind of limited means, but they worked really, really hard. And then on the weekends, uh, they would uh, help to lead a church as volunteers. My mom would play the piano and help to lead women's ministry. My dad would preach. And we had three ch church services on a Sunday and all of them were different. I don't know why we chose that as a methodology, but that's what we did. And so our Sundays were full. And you would think my parents would then just wanna chillax on a Sunday afternoon and watch some golf or fall asleep on the couch. But what we did every Sunday was we invited a number of people to lunch at our house. So it was always my, my two great aunts, my mom's aunts, and they would help to cook. And my mom would have had stuff cooking in the oven the whole time while we were at church in the morning. And then they would invite anyone who was new at church that day or anyone who just needed somewhere to go for lunch. And then the kids were always welcome to invite as many people as they wanted. And so they had no idea how many they were catering for every Sunday. And yet every week, when we got to the end, they had never, ever indicated. In fact, the fridge was always full of leftovers. And, and when I would ask my mom about this and how we're planning for this would go, she would say, well, the Lord provides. We're hospitable and the Lord provides. And so on most Sundays, uh, we would feed, you know, 15 to 30 people at our dining room table. And it always felt like a miracle of God's provision. But this pales in comparison with what Jesus does here. To feed approximately 10,000 people off of one boy's small meal is next level. And it would have been undeniably miraculous to anyone who experienced it firsthand. And I wanna say this, in our postmodern world, we believe that it literally happened, that this wasn't just, this isn't just a parable, it's not a myth, this actually took place. But as importantly as the, the physical manifestation of this miracle is, behind this miracle, we also see so much of the wonderful heart of our precious King Jesus. And that's what I wanna press into today. And so as we walk through the text, I want you to try, stop, and imagine a little bit of what it might've been like to be there. We can flatten biblical stories out through familiarity and we can remove some of the very real human experience that must have been part of it for anyone who was actually present. And so let's walk through it bit by bit. And as we do, I just wanna highlight three things, just three things about the character of Jesus that we can remember and hold on to today. Firstly, Jesus extends compassion when he is faced with our humanity. He's gonna meet some very real human needs today, and he's gonna do it with a heart of compassion. And I want you to trust in that compassionate heart today. Uh, secondly, Jesus invites participation when it comes to the expansion of his kingdom. He alone has all of the power. He alone has all of the, uh, the, the ability to expand the supernatural kingdom on earth, and yet he invites humans to participate with him in that great work. What a thing to consider. And then thirdly, Jesus offers true and real and lasting satisfaction 
to those who would come to him with their needs. He offers what no one else can offer, something that doesn't need replenishing or topping up again. He gives us something that lasts forever and satisfies our souls if we will trust him. So let's jump in. Matthew 14, verse 13 is where we'll be. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now we should stop there and say, when Jesus heard this, well, what is this? It's, it's what Matt Blackwell so beautifully preached about uh, uh, last week. It's about the tragic news of the beheading, the murder of John the Baptist, which is Jesus' second cousin, a man he loved dearly. And so again, put yourself in the story just a little bit. Jesus is in mourning and what he is yearning for, what he desires is some time away from the rigor of constant ministry, the barrage of continual attention that his ministry is receiving. And he wants to get away with him and his disciples. Let's look at it. Uh, when he hears this, he withdraw from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, his ministry's blowing up. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And so the commentators reckon that if we follow the map on this, he probably never gets more far away from shore than, than he's able to view the shore, right? So he's got, he's got eyes on all of these people and as he's getting away, he's like, finally, I can get away. And then he sees all of these people following the boat uh, uh, along the shore and they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, tons of them appearing, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So the first observation is this. Jesus extends compassion when he is faced with our fallenness, our neediness, our humanity. This story is actually contained in all four gospels. And they all offer slightly different angles on how this takes place, but they're all united in one thing motivating Jesus in moving away to what he hoped would be a quiet place. They all speak of he needed some time out for him and his disciples. In the gospel of Mark, Mark adds to the story by saying, Jesus said, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. This was an offer of a retreat that he extended to his disciples. You see, this is not long after the disciples had returned from their first missionary journey where they went out two by two. They had been working hard and they had seen incredible things and they were probably emotionally overwhelmed and they were probably physically fatigued and their, their whole world's been turned upside down by the good news of Jesus Christ and his claims that he is the Messiah and his empowering spirit that has sent them out on mission. And Jesus himself has been absolutely cranking out the work, working day after day after day. And now they've received the upsetting news that John is dead and Luke adds the little subplot that Herod is looking for Jesus. Jesus as well. And so Herod, who's just beheaded John, is now on the search for Jesus because he wants to speak with him. And so they go, we need to move away from here. And so Jesus extends to them. What does he extend to them? A chance to get away, a chance to rest, a chance to retreat, to switch off from the crowds and to reconnect with each other and with God the Father. Friends, isn't this incredible? Jesus gets it. He knows what it's like to be emotionally spent. He knows what it's like to be physically exhausted. He knows what it's like to look at a group of people under pressure and say, you know what these men need? They need some time away. They need a retreat. They need to stop and come away with me to a quiet place 
We often think about God the Father um, going, no, no, you just press harder, just suffer more, just keep going. But in the incarnation of Christ, we have the clearest depiction of what God is actually like. And Jesus, in recognition of the weakness of humanity and in his own unique understanding of what that feels like, says, no, come away, rest, come to a quiet place, disconnect, you're under pressure, you're tired, come away and rest with me. Friends, this is such a demanding season for so many of us under such intense pressure and for so long, oh, he sees you, friend. He recognizes your humanity. Psalm 103 says he knows that you are dust. You were formed out of dust. He knows how temporary you are. He knows how limited you are. And he, and he feels it in his compassion. And so friends, don't think that in Christ we have another cruel taskmaster who's asking you just to take on more burden. What we have is a empathetic, a sympathetic, a sympathetic high priest who understands our weaknesses, who recognizes it and is moved by compassion. Now I know that we have spoken about the wonder of the incarnation of Christ right throughout Matthew as we've taught it, but it's a true Christian distinctive and it's mind blowing that we have in Jesus, not someone who judges us from above, but someone who just judges us from above. He is a righteous judge but someone who came and entered into our world, took on human flesh, subjected himself in a very real way to the limitations that we are experiencing. Jesus knows you are human. <laughs> and you can go to him with it. <laughs> you can take it to him and you can be assured of his compassion because look how he responds here to the neediness of the crowds and I'm so sympathetic when I read this text because I know what it feels like to just have worked super hard and wanna get away and just wanna get out of town and get away from people. But then he gets all these people following him. This is like booking a long overdue time of retreat out in West Texas. But when you get, not even Marfa, that's where all the hipsters go beyond that, right? Into true country and you get out there and when you arrive, it's just packed and it's packed with people from work who've got lots of questions for you on deliverables that are overdue and things that they need from you. Now listen, I, I sound passionate about this because this is actually a possible reality for the staff at Austin Stone because it seems like all of us head out to West Texas on retreat and so it's a, it's a risky place to go. But can you imagine? I would be furious, I'd be so mad, I'd be oh come on. Can I not go one place where I can just get a little bit of quiet? But look at Jesus, look what drives in verse 14. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and look at this phrase, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That word compassion is such an interesting word. I don't pretend to be a Greek scholar. There's nothing more dangerous and annoying than someone who knows a little bit of Greek, but, but I read a lot of commentators who know a lot of Greek, and, and they say that this word's origin isn't actually in the description of an emotional state. It's an interesting word. It's rather a physical word. It speaks of an unction of a burden in your guts. It's a, it's a word that feels, a, it speaks of physical pain, ache right here in your stomach. Jesus looks at this crowd of needy people who are invading his recovery time and he has a physiological response to them, but that physical, uh, physiological response is one of mercy, one of compassion is moved by it. Mark tells us in his account 
that he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. He, he, he ties those two together and that he spends all day not just healing them, but shepherding them, teaching them, touching them, sitting with them, listening to them. What an incredibly kind king we have in Jesus. Let's not forget, friends. How do you think that Jesus receives you? And how do you think that Jesus responds to you when your weaknesses, when your frailties, when your vulnerabilities, when your very humanity is on full display? What sort of posture do you anticipate receiving back from Jesus? When you have physical needs, do you feel like you can bring those to him? When you have healing, do you think that'll be, uh, healing needs, do you think that'll be annoying to him? When, when you are emotionally spent, or when you don't know how to provide for the next meal, when you're just exhausted, when you're exasperated, when you're without wisdom, when you need grace again, again, because you've messed up again, how do you think he'll receive you? In the person of Jesus, we have this clear evidence that we are received with compassion, a compassion that moves him physiologically and that causes him to move towards these very needy people and gives them the exact thing that they need. God knows that you're human and he's compassionate with you. Verse 15, now when it was evening, so it's another full day of work, just constant. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages and buy food and have them buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat, which must have been one of the strangest things for them to hear in this moment. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Second observation is this, Jesus invites participation when he is powerfully expanding his kingdom. I love this story. No one has eaten all day. And as a guy who gets fairly hangry, which I'll tell you more about in a second, I identify with all of this. And so the disciples are hungry, they're tired, they're frustrated, and they, and they step into something of liability limitation mode, which I fully understand. They look around, they go like, Lord, send these people away. Seriously, we, they've got to be able to go somewhere else and get some food. And speaking of food, could we have some food? This has been a very long day. This is the worst retreat I have ever been on in my entire life. And Jesus says to them, you feed them which leads at some point to a discussion and, a, and an ordered process of available resources. Mark tells us that the disciples quickly tally up the expected toll of a, of a Costco run for them, and it comes to the exorbitant amount of 2,000 denarii, which every Costco run amounts to, even to this day. Afterwards, Jesus asks them to go out and find what food they already have. And John tells us they find a young boy who's sitting down and is about to enjoy his dinner and he has five bread rolls and two fish. And I can only imagine what this young boy is feeling at this moment. I'm filled with empathy for this guy because he's going, what the heck? 
Am I the only one here who's prepped? I think we have the prototypical Boy Scout in this chart. He's like, seriously, what kind of grown-ups are you? I'm the only one who packed a lunch and not a particularly tasty one, and now you're gonna take it, and I'm just young, but I don't think it's gonna get around to all of these people. Here is the point, though. When they get this pitiable resource, Jesus says a very simple thing to them. He says, bring them here to me. You see, friends, what they have may be pitiable at best, but when they bring it and put it in the hands of the king, it goes from pitiable to plentiful in a moment. It doesn't depend on what they had, it depends on whose hands they placed it in, in terms of its ability to be able to produce fruit for the kingdom. And then I love this, just put yourself in the story again. We've gotta to, got to, got to try and imagine we were there. I love how Jesus does this. He clearly has all of the miraculous power in the world. We, we know that, right, through the power of the Spirit. And he could have got this feeding done any way he chose. But what does he do? He does the painstaking task, and it must have taken a while, of getting 10,000 people, 5,000 men um, and at least 10,000 people all in, getting them all to sit down. And Luke tells us that he sends the disciples out to do this and gets them all to sit in groups of 50. Now this must have been super stressful if you think about it, right? If you're a disciple, you've seen the size of the dinner on offer and Jesus says, get everyone to sit down for food. And so you go out amongst 10,000 people, picture a full basketball arena and your job is to seat them in groups of 50 for dinner. What are they gonna ask? What's for dinner? And what are you gonna answer? We'll see. It's gonna be incredible. I don't know what it is, but I think it's some fish and some bread, but I don't know. But Jesus told us to go seat people. This takes incredible faith on behalf of the disciples. And then he gives them the food and he says, now you go give it to others. Now, again, we don't know the exact physical way that this took place. There's theologians who have pontificated about this for 2000 years. What form did this take? What we do know is that it's kind of gradual in its arrival. We don't have any stories of a massive pile of food all of a sudden. Uh, what we do know is that the disciples go, they distribute some, they come back, and there's more. And they go away and distribute some and they come back and there's more. And I can just imagine the cheeky grin that Jesus has at this point as the disciples' faith is realized in front of their very eyes. You see, Jesus' instruction to them, friends, would have made no sense. And it was only over time that they started to realize what he was doing. Listen, obedience is always like this. Faith is always like this. We'll receive instructions that on first hearing make no sense. But as we see Jesus begin to move, we start to realize, oh my goodness, he is the king of kings. Look at what he is doing. Friends, Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, still expands his kingdom like this. He brings all the power. He does all of the heavy lifting. He alone has the miraculous power, but he invites us to participate by simply bringing what we have to Jesus and then sharing what we get from Jesus with others. You wanna make an impact on the kingdom? You, you, you wanna participate uh, in the kingdom but don't think you can contribute uh, meaningfully? Just remember these two things. Bring what you have to Jesus. So simple, whatever it is that you have, bring it to him in faith and let him do what only he can do. Watch him multiply it out into something wonderful. You may not have many resources, 
Uh, you, you may wish you had significantly more. You may wish you had greater gifting. You may wish you had a more exhilarating story that you could share with other people. But what you have is what he has placed in you and the power doesn't lie in what you have. The power lies in whose hands you place it. And so friends, whatever you have, bring it to Jesus in a posture of humility and say, Lord, you can use this for the expansion of your kingdom. You can use my training, you can use my career, you can use my relationships, you can use even my pain, uh, you can use those, those formative experiences that looked like they were for evil, you can use them for good and for the saving of many lives. Lord, I bring you this pitiable thing. Make it plentiful in your good hands. And then secondly, all you do is you share what you get from Jesus. So bring what you have and then share what you get. Watch him use it for the blessing and benefit of many others. Friends, he's entrusted you with spiritual gifts. Share them. He's entrusted you with grace. Share that. He's entrusted you with wisdom from his word. Share that. He's entrusted you with whatever resource you have. Share it. Bring what you have to Jesus and then share what you get from Jesus and watch what he will do. You can turn this into a prayer very practically today. If you want your life to count for the kingdom, you wanna be co-laborers with Christ, as Paul explains, in the expansion of his great territory. Let us be a people who daily approach him by saying, why don't you make this a, a, a daily prayer this week? Lord, all I have is yours to use. As humble as it may be, but it's yours. And Lord, all that you have given me, I will in faith share with others for their blessing and for your glory and watch what he will do. All right, verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Last principle, Jesus offers satisfaction like, like no other. I love the image here. These people eat their full and there are 12 baskets left over, beautifully representing the provision that Christ is making to the 12 tribes of Israel and it's complete and it's enough. In fact, it's more than enough. It is like the leftovers that always remain somehow miraculously after those Lester family lunches. And the, the, the Lester boys would find, there were four of us, find ourselves standing with an open fridge a couple of hours after eating our full and being like, yeah, I could eat more potatoes um, and some cold gravy, I can do that. You see, the people ate until they were full and then they gathered up 12 full baskets of God's abundance for them. Why? Because Jesus satisfies. He satisfies every longing and every need that we actually have. See, a few years ago, I was struggling with um, some health issues and I went to go see a dietitian, right? And she studied my eating patterns and we realized that they were terrible. They were terrible. And they were manifesting in my body in a ridiculous sort of way. And what she said to me was, you eat too much of the wrong thing and you eat it way too fast. 
Is he having grown up in a house with 30 people around a dining room table and with uh, uh, three brothers competing for the food at any given time? I learned that you've got to eat what's put on your plate and you've got to eat it fast, otherwise someone else is gonna get it, right? And so I had this bad habit of just eating really fast and just trying to fill up with junk because I was playing so much sports, you just needed calories, 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 and then I kept that going into my adult life and it started having consequences. And she said, you've got, you got to change, you've got to slow down. You've got to eat more slowly so that your body has time to realize that you're actually full. And you've got to eat the right kind of things with the right kind of caloric density so that your body has time to go, hey, buddy, that's enough, right? And, and now, now all of this, of course, is a euphemism. This is pastoral euphemistic speaking by saying that I had some dietary issues. What this is is a confession of sin. It's called gluttony. The Bible speaks about it quite frequently. And I was a glutton and it was causing massive health consequences for me. But it made me think when I left that dietitian that day, she changed my life in, in quite a dramatic fashion. My spiritual life is a lot like this as well. I'm consuming way too much of the wrong stuff way too quickly and then wondering why I never feel satisfied. When it's the quiet, set apart time alone with Jesus Christ, listening to Him, getting my food from Him, getting my provision from Him, it's the only thing that satisfies, but we filled our diet with so much junk uh, and so much overconsumption that we never ever feel full. Friends, the scriptures tell us again and again and again, when you pursue satisfaction in Jesus, he never disappoints, ever. He never runs out, he never undercaters. He is more than enough for you, more than enough. Do you trust him? Are you going to him? There is so much going on here in the text that I don't have time for today, I wish I had time, but Jesus is going to explain to his disciples not long after this moment and after another feeding miracle, he does two of them in a short space of time, that what he was actually doing for his audience was showing the fulfillment of prophecy um, and that he was the long-awaited new and better Moses. It's no accident that Matthew records Jesus performing two bread miracles and then intersects them with him walking on Water, he's showing his readers, this is the new Exodus. Hey, remember Moses who led us by asking God to give us manna in the desert to sustain us? Remember Moses who, who raised his staff and parted the Red Sea, who God gave power over the waters to help us to escape? Well, someone better than Moses is here. I'm the new Exodus, follow me. I will give you daily bread more than enough, 12 baskets left over and more than any other. And I, not only can I part the sea, I get to walk on the storming sea. The wind and waves, they obey me. I don't even need a staff. I speak and they listen. I am the one. It's a beautiful picture of who he is. And in John 6, where the parallel account is kept for us, Jesus explains more of what is going on. You see, he meets the crowds the following day and they've started to piece together this Moses narrative. And so some religious leaders come to him and they say, can you give us another sign, another Moses sign? We, we need just one more, those ones weren't enough. We heard about the 5,000, we heard about the walking on water thing. Can you give us another sign, another Moses picture? And, and here's what he said to them in John 6, 32. He said, truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, so give us this bread, always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me 
shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Our friends, this compassionate King Jesus who invites us into participation in his kingdom is the only one who can satisfy the deep desires of our lives and turn us then as satisfied and fulfilled people so that we can share what he has given us with those who desperately need him. But he says we have to come to him and we have to believe in him and we have to trust in him. You know what goes on to happen in John 6? Most of his disciples leave because they realize that pursuing this satisfaction means relinquishing their other pursuits of satisfaction in the world. Oh, dear friends, I've been praying that God would bring a revival of our hearts in this season. Even as we aren't gathering in the way that we are used to, I'm praying that God would awaken in us this hunger, this hunger that nothing else in this world would fulfill, what only Jesus can bring. We're all under immense pressure. And today I want us to turn our hearts and our minds and our dependency upon the only one who can meet us. He sees you, friend, with immense compassion. He understands your needs better than you do. You can take them to him. He invites you to give your life meaning by participating in the advance of his great kingdom. And you don't even need some better or more resourceful version of yourself. Give what you have to him in faith and take and share what you receive from him in faith. And friends, he offers satisfaction, that yearning in your soul, that ache, that thing that you're really chasing after, he alone can quench that. Know today that ultimately only belief in Jesus Christ and a life lived in dependence on his merciful provision will satisfy your soul. He is good. Let us be a people who go to him with our needs and let us experience the great compassion that he has for us today and forevermore. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for your word. Forgive me for the fact that I, I try to graze continually on the snacks that the world has to offer for me and then, and then I bemoan the lack of satisfaction that I feel off of that garbage diet. When the bread of life makes himself available, offers to me with compassion what no one else can offer, Oh, I pray that we would go to him and receive from him, please, God. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet know you listening to this online. They've got that ache and they're wondering, could, could Christ fulfill that? Yes, he can, friend, turn to him. Right now where you are at home, turn to him. Cry out to him, say, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. Please forgive me. Please, please give me that bread. He will meet you, friend. Through his precious Holy Spirit, he will meet you. Lord, I pray for those today who are tired, beat up, frustrated, annoyed, angry all the time. Oh. Pray that they would know and experience and believe that Christ looks at them right now, not with annoyance, but with compassion and with empathy. 
I pray that they would take their deep need to him and that he would meet them. Lord, I pray for those who are going, what is my life worth? What can I contribute? Pray today that you would remind them that it's not about what they have, but it's about whose hands they put it in. I pray that they would put their lives afresh in your hands and that you would miraculously multiply your kingdom as a result. Lord, we love you, we trust you. You are not taken by surprise in anything that's happening in the world at the moment. Refine your church, make us more faithful, make us more holy, keep us ever dependent on your son, Jesus Christ. We have no hope beside him. It's in his name we pray, amen.